We are so glad that you joined us today. We're going to dive right in. We're doing a series, continuing our series, Pray Like This. It's the prayer of the model prayer. Um, and the, when we look at the model prayer, it says pray like this. It doesn't say you have to pray this. So it's trying to extrapolate the main ideas of this prayer and add it to our prayer life. And so let me give you a little review if you haven't been around. In Matthew 6, 9 through 11, here's what we've covered so far. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven... Your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And so what we've talked about so far is the idea of posture. And that honoring God as holy recognizes that he's in heaven and, and we are here on earth. And as we honor him, then we're going to surrender to his kingdom coming here on earth. And, and may your will be done here. And not just, we're not just praying for the next life. We're praying for the here and the now. And in doing that, we're going to carry out the will of God. So we're praying for our daily bread, challenging ourselves to not try to get more than what we need, but leaning into the power of God to give us what we need to give. So here's the Monday morning application from last week. Last week, if you were around, we challenged you to give up something of value to, to remind you that this world is not about you. I don't know how, how you did with that or if you wrestled with that or if you even did it. But I hope that as you do, you begin to lean into the power of God. And, and as we continue on with this idea of request, of supplication in this week's verse, it's really important that we have the right posture because this passage, it starts to look like it's about us. But we need to be reminded that our prayer is ultimately to remind us to lean into who God is. So let's read Matthew 6, 12. It says this, And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Debts there is literally the translated word, but it could also mean sin. And in fact, you could interchange those words. Debts was one way to describe sin. And when we say our debts, it's the fact that our sins separate us from the relationship of God. We owe the relationship that we have with God the restitution of our sins. And we can't pay it. They're debts. And so what it says there is help us to forgive and forgive us our debts Forgive us our sins as we have also forgiven those who sin against us, our debtors. We want forgiveness, but you seldom want to get it. Isn't that true? I want forgiveness, <laughs> but I don't want them to get forgiveness. I want forgiveness, but I, I, I want to carry a grudge. What are some ways that we mess up this idea of forgiveness? And what does forgiveness really mean? Well, let me give you a definition of forgiveness first. What is forgiveness? It is the laying aside the right to revenge or hostility towards another. Laying aside the right to revenge. That's the American definition. Laying aside the right to revenge of, or hostility towards another. Here's ways that we fail in forgiveness. We, we sometimes have bitterness. One of my favorite sayings is bitterness is like a pound of butter. It won't make you better. It'll just ruin your heart, right? Bitterness does not help. We, we, we also fail in forgiveness and revenge. I, I, I will forgive them after I pay them back. <laughs> That's good. Um, keeping score, right? I'm better than you. Ding! You messed up. I'm going to forgive you. Ding! And I'm holier. Ding! Keeping score. Martyrdom. This is a, a real popular one, right? Like, I'm sitting here going, I'm going to allow you to continue to hurt me because I'm the holiest person I know. And 
oh, that's just the, the lot in life I have for you to continue to slap me, beat me up, and knock me over. No, that's not appropriate forgiveness, okay? And last, and probably the most popular one, and the one that I often run to, is acting like it never happened. <laughs> you wronged me, but I'm going to act like I have no problems with it. I'm going to act like it never happened. Anybody ever do that one? You would raise your hand, but you don't remember. Okay, you're going to act like it never happened. Um, <laughs> In this passage, I want you to see something, though, because I think the difficult, the difficult struggle that we have in practicing forgiveness in the church is we really don't understand gospel-centered forgiveness, even if we've been to church our whole life. So I want to challenge your perception of what forgiveness is this morning. And see, in this passage where I just read to you, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors, there's a Greek word play there that's going on that doesn't translate well. But the Greek word play, it says basically, it is a given that you can only pray for forgiveness after you have forgiven others. That is a direct quote from a commentary. It is a given that you can only pray for forgiveness after you have forgiven others. Now, that does not mean that that's actually the way it works, okay? You can actually pray for forgiveness from God before you've forgiven others. But what we're trying to get to here and what the wordplay is suggesting, if you'll stay with me for just a moment, is it is suggesting an overarching understanding of what forgiveness looks like, and which will enable you to forgive others well. We know we're supposed to forgive, right? If somebody wronged you, you're like, oh, that person. But I'm supposed to forgive them. Why? I don't know. They just, the pastor told me to. He's a nice guy sometimes, except for that one time. But I'm going to forgive him because I'm supposed to, right? We know we're supposed to forgive. But, and so when, when we pray for forgiveness, here's, here's what we're really doing a lot of times. We are often praying for forgiveness, hoping a miracle will happen. Why? Because I know I need to forgive someone because I know I should, but I don't know how to and not sure if I even want to. <laughs> We're asking for a miracle. I know I need to forgive someone, but it's going to take a miracle because I don't really want to. And I'm, I'm not sure even how to do that. And the reality is, oftentimes we in the church who know that we're supposed to follow Christ and know that we're supposed to forgive are like actors on the stage. We're trying to live out the script of the gospel, forgiving other people, without embracing what it really looks like. In other words, I'm going to act like I've forgiven you, but in my heart, I'm not. I'm going to walk through the motions. I'm going to say I'm forgiving you because I, I know that that's what I'm supposed to do. But we don't actually go to the place where forgiveness resonates within the DNA of who we are. Is that getting a little too personal? Maybe me too, because this has been a hard week. I've been looking in the mirror a lot this week. Right? Not just going, whoo, nice haircut. I'm not, not doing that. <laughs> the reality is this is a difficult, difficult, difficult lesson. But when you walk through it, the place of peace that comes through fully embracing what the gospel looks like in forgiveness will revolutionize your life. See, oftentimes we, we view forgiveness as a business transaction. I'm going to forgive so you can forgive me. I'm going to forgive because I'm supposed to do that. And, and we can even go forgive to be forgiven. Is that what the passage is really saying? Forgive others so you can forgive me, God. No, 
It's not a business transaction because God's economy is different than ours, and we can't always understand it. So to better unpack this, what these two verses are saying, I want us to look at Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 through 27. Here's what it says. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle his accounts with the servants. And when he began to settle the accounts, the one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt into slavery. At this, his servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Then the master, which by the way was a lie, then the master of the servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. How do I know that was a lie? 10,000 talents, you, they argue all the, all the time over how much money that actually is. But let me just say it like this. It was multiple millions of dollars for a guy who had no way to make multiple millions of dollars. Does that make sense? So here's what he said. Give me 48 hours and I'll pay back the millions upon millions of dollars that I don't currently own in like 48 hours, right? Give me time. I'll pay it back. I promise. <laughs> how? Are you going to go rob 10 banks? Right? And the problem was he, he knew that it, the moment that I go to uh, be sold, the moment I, I have to go to debtor's prison or whatever, the problem was when I, in that time, had to pay back a loan that I could, they could put me away and say, okay, once you find your freedom, once you, well, you can buy your freedom back. You can, you can pay your way out of it. How are you going to make money in jail? And he was sitting there going, I'm not only being punished, but, but my family's being punished. My kids are being punished. My wife's going to be punished. All because of my, I, this is overwhelming to me. I can't possibly, would you give me compassion? So the king, who in this story represents God, looked down and he said, I'm going to wipe it out. Not only do you not have to pay it back, you don't, there's no restitution needed. You, it's gone. We like that part of the story, right? I love that. And, and it does stand for our, what Jesus did on the cross when he died for us. He, he created a way that anyone who believes that he did that, anyone who confesses that Jesus is Lord, believes that he came and lived a perfect life and paid for our sins, that he would forgive us. Our sins cannot be paid for by our actions. Why? Because the debt was too large. You get it? No. Let me, let me unpack this a little farther. The Bible says we are to confess our sins because then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And there's some people who teach you have to actually verbally confess every single sin that you do in order to actually be forgiven. Why? Because the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But let me give you an alternative idea of what that really means. It means that you have to have the posture of forgiveness over and over and over again. Why? Because it's impossible for you to know every single sin you've ever done. Why? Because your sins are like the stars in the sky. Start counting. Wait, did I count that one again? I don't know. Can you imagine the life of having to go and list every single sin in order to be, oh, I can't do it. It's, it's too big. And plus that makes it a business transaction. If I have to actually list the sin to be forgiven, oh my goodness. But what God wants us to do when we practice confession, it's the softening of our heart. It places us in the right posture, recognizing that he is God, that this debt is not capable to be paid back. 
but God. But God. Now that alone should change us. But unfortunately, far too often, we, we act like the servant in this passage. We act like what we find as the story continues in verses 28 through 35. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. Okay, he owed his, the king multiple millions of dollars. This would have been a day or two wages at the most. Could you pay back a day or two wages? Yeah, probably. You could probably find someone else to loan from. Don't do that. Don't buy a loan. To, but he, he could have done it to avoid prison. But the servant grabbed him, started choking him, and said, pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Could he have done that? Yeah. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay back what he owed. What's the problem? You can't pay back it in prison. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went out and reported to their master everything that happened. Then after he summoned him, his master said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back everything that was owed. Now listen to this next verse because this verse should scare us all a little. I'm going to unpack it. We're going to be okay. But listen to it. So also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. Let's go back. What's that, what's that verse say? And forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So does that mean that we have to forgive other people in order to be forgiven by Jesus? Well, yes and no. We've already covered that you can't possibly list every sin and, and do that. So it's, and it's not trying to earn your right. And so if it's not trying to earn your right, then forgiving everybody who wrongs you. And you can't, you come to a relationship with Jesus before you forgive others. How does this all work? Daniel, I'm confused. Me too. I had to wrestle with it this week and struggle with it. And, and I want you to see that this is representative of us understanding how God loves us. See, if forgiveness is laying aside our right for revenge or restitution, right? If forgiveness is laying aside our right for revenge or restitution, then we're hoping the relationship can be restored. But here's the, the caveat. And I really, really struggle with this. In fact, I, I checked a lot of uh, things. I prayed a lot about this. And I was like, is this right? Because it doesn't almost feel right. But I, I truly believe this is the gospel message. It says this, Forgiveness can be given, but cannot be fully received until one has remorse. So the story of the servant, did he have remorse? No. Was he thankful? Yes. What did he have? Freedom, right? You see... Having remorse is what shows that you have captured the forgiveness of God on your own life. The guy didn't have remorse. He felt relief from the consequences. But remorse for your own sins softens your heart and allows you to come to the place where you're willing to forgive others. So here's the, the struggle. 
And I think what happens a lot of times is we can confuse forgiveness and the practice of forgiveness in our own life with the admission of guilt. But an admission of guilt without remorse is actually not an apology. It's hoping to get off scot-free. <laughs> remorse means you're willing to face the consequences. So I'm giving you a lot right here, but wrap your mind around this. Remorse requires a change of attitude leading to a change of actions. So let's unpack this. How does this work? How does this translate into our life? How does this come to the place where we're really willing to forgive and be forgiven? We don't forgive because we don't really understand how God has forgiven us. We live in a world where the economy that we base our life on is, am I better than this person? Yes, I'm good. Are they more dysfunctional than me? Whew, as long as there's people more dysfunctional than me in the room, I feel okay, right? And I can forgive the people as long as that makes me feel good about myself. And we practice this forgiveness as a part of a show that somehow feeds our own ego. It feeds our own economy. It feeds our own worldview. It feeds our own systems that somehow self-propels ourselves and creates a narcissistic mentality. Narcissism and, and the building up of pride in yourself, right? Doesn't that sound like forgiveness? No! Not at all! Forgiveness isn't about you. And the reason we don't really understand forgiveness is because we haven't really truly embraced what the gospel says about us. So I want you to look into the, the Netherlands of your heart, the place that you hope no one knows, the place that maybe not even a spouse, if you're married, you hope they find out. And I want you to look deep in that, and I want you to ask yourself, have you truly embraced that, child, you are loved? If you have a relationship with Jesus, that he looks down into your life and sits there and goes, I know what you are doing, what you have done, and what you will do in the future. And while I don't want you to continue living in a way that is apart from me, I want you to know that there is nothing that separates you from my love. And child, I value you. I sent my son to die on the cross, and I know everything about you, and you are forgiven. The debt is too large, and you don't want to face the debt because it seems like an insurmountable tsunami that's going to engulf you. But I want you to know that tsunami is going to dissipate in the wake of the cross. That Jesus looks down and he breathes into your life not only forgiveness but completeness and wholeness as we fall prostrate and before him and go, God, I can't do this. He looks at you and he says, I know. That's why I did. And through that remorse, through that humility, that humble placing, the overwhelming love of Jesus falls like dew in the morning and refreshes you. And then when you see the sins of others, you're not sitting there going, well, I got to forgive him. God wants, there you go. Let me share what he's done with you.
So when we pray, God, would you forgive me as I forgive others, what it's really saying there is not you have to understand and forgive others before you can be forgiven. No, it's saying as you forgive others, you have truly understood the gospel of how God forgives you. Maybe, just maybe, we don't forgive others because we don't really bring our sins with remorse to the cross, expecting Him to heal us. So today, maybe that's what you need to start. You need to bring your junk and place it at the foot of the cross and find His love. Sermon number one. Three-minute sermon number two, stepping outside that box. I want you to see something else. Very, very important. We're going to cover more of this next week. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting. There's a difference. We're going to talk about boundaries and stuff next week. Woo-hoo! Come back. But I want you to see that the consequences of your sins may linger I'm going to give you a gross illustration. Is that okay? Squeamish alert. <laughs> My grandmother, when she was dying, and she was about 90 years old, 85 years old, saintly woman, had paper-thinned skin from all the cancer in her life. And she, in her last couple of years, would walk down the hall, and if she bumped into a wall, she would start bleeding. If she picked up a card wrong, playing, we played a lot of cards, she would cut her finger and she would just, every, she was always filled with scabs. And when you looked at this woman, you saw this woman who was just like constantly beaten and bruised. And that's how we are a lot in the church. And I think our mentality a lot of times is, right? I want to have less scabs than you. And if I do, I feel good. I feel holy. I don't think God wants us to live with scabs. Why? Because scabs aren't really, they're part of the healing process, but that's not where the healing is complete. And you know what I think a lot of times we do? This is the gross part. Please bear with me. But what we do is we don't allow the healing to happen as we keep picking at the scabs, which causes it to bleed more. I feel wounded. I'm going to get the scab off me, quick. Well, then more blood comes. Instead of going through the process of healing. Does that make sense? Even when you put a Band-Aid on, what's a Band-Aid on? It's like putting a wound on there. But what I think we need to understand is that when the scab heals, it falls off naturally in God's timing. Right? But sometimes, even after the scab has fallen off, you have... A scar. Some of you are tracking. Some of you are like, I don't know what's next. <laughs> a scar. And sometimes we, we sit there and go, but this isn't fair. I've been healed. Why do I have a scar? This finger had a forged pin drilled in it once. I don't know, squeamish. And a whole bunch of stitches. I used to show pictures and people, well, it was bad. And I had major surgery on this finger because I didn't go to the doctor as quick as I should have after I injured up playing basketball because I had a golf tournament. I wanted to play in the golf tournament. And it did, this finger does not matter as much in golf, okay? 
And I should have gone to the doctor. I didn't, so I'd had surgery, major surgery, and reconstructive surgery, and all that stuff. And, and this finger is healed. At first, they had a scar, right? And you might sit there and go, Daniel, I can't even see the scar, okay? But look, woo, fun. Look how quick I can bend this, right? So this finger has been healed, right? Look. I mean, it's great for shooting guns. <laughs> and sometimes I can even like, like when I, I went out shooting guns one time, I was like going to put my finger up there because I can do this with this finger, but I, I can't with this one. It just doesn't work. And the guy's like, no, you're going to get your finger lopped off. I go, well, it's not that good anyways. <laughs> But the reality is I sit there and I get frustrated sometimes because this finger, go quicker. I don't want to have, you're supposed to be healed, right? But it is. And while the scars of that brokenness remain because I didn't go to the doctor when I should have, I didn't get healed when I should have, God still healed and can use this even for a sermon illustration to help us see the glory of his renown. Some of you are spending an exorbitant amount of time trying to hide your scars because you've confused a scar with a scab. A scar is healed, but the consequences may remain. We're going to cover more about that next week. But a scab needs to continue to go through the healing process to naturally fall off and be healed. What does all that look like? It looks like the understanding that we in the church need to stop going after the idea that we have to look perfect to be forgiven. <laughs> let's start having some scars. And let's embrace how Jesus looks down at your scars. Well, he looks at his own son. The father looks at his own son's scars. It says, by those wounds, you are healed. And so when you see the scars in your life, see how the, the blessedness of the cross when Jesus died for you, when you see that scab finally go away, it's where the scab goes away when you start functioning again, right? When you start, stop carrying the guilt, when you start going, okay, God has truly embraced me. God has forgiven me. And yeah, there's consequences, but I've been able to face those consequences and I have hope and I have joy because Jesus has healed me. He's brought new life, new skin, new life. God's not done creating something out of the mess of the wounds of your life. By his wounds, you're healed. When you understand that, it's easy to forgive other people. But when you stay wounded, it's hard to heal and it's hard to forgive others. So embrace the freedom of forgiveness and find Jesus. So what's our Monday morning application? I want you to do this once a day. I want to ask God to show your sins. Can you possibly list them all? No. Then why should I go through this? Because it reminds your heart to have the right posture to be broken before God. Grieve those sins. Ask for forgiveness and change your hearts and change your actions. Once a day. Would you do that? If you do that, you're going to see new life grow. You're going to see the scabs fall away. You're going to be able to, to have the scars, but you're going to be healed. You're going to feel the new life come, and it will create in you a new life that is able to practice restitution of the body of believers. And we no longer will be going, am I holier than you? Woo-hoo, 
feel good. I'm going to stop acting like a person who has my life together, and I'm going to start acting like Jesus, who does have his life together. That came out poor, but you know what I'm saying. (laughs) I'm going to chase after the holiness of who Jesus is. So in a moment, we're going to practice something to remind us that we're all broken and that Jesus was broken for us. When Jesus gathered with his disciples in the upper room, there's two glasses here. In a moment, we're going to pass these around. It's the way we practice communion, the Lord's Supper, common unity. And this first one's going to represent how his body was broken for you, and the second one's going to represent how his blood was poured out for you. But all of it is to remind us to come to the altar with our wounds and to present the best and watch him grow new life through us. So deacons, would you come take your place? And then hold on to this. We're going to take these together in a few minutes. Father, I thank you for how you move and breathe in our lives. Would you move in us? Would you guard us? Would you take this simple moment and heal us? Help us through our remorse to come to you, to come before you. Oh, God, move. This is our prayer. Forgive us as we have forgiven others through the blood of the cross. In your name we pray. Amen.